Welcome to ACOM Insight, the new weekly podcast about higher education by the Association of Independent Colleges and Universities in Massachusetts. This week, ACOM Senior Vice President and General Counsel Rob McCarran interviews Worcester Polytechnic Institute President Lori Leshen. To begin, here's Rob McCarran. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Rob McCarran, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at ACOM. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of ACOM Insight, which is a podcast that highlights the key people, policies, and programs that make higher ed such an important part of the Commonwealth. This week, we are focusing on a person who has been working tirelessly on behalf of higher ed, um, of the higher ed sector, in helping the state respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm very excited to be speaking with President Lori Leshen of WPI. President Leshen has served as the 16th president of WPI since 2014. During her tenure, she has embraced the university's distinctive approach to STEM education while challenging the campus community to elevate WPI's impact in communities across the globe. President Leshen was recently appointed by Governor Baker to serve on his reopening advisory board, also called the RAB, where she helped develop recommendations for how to safely reopen the Massachusetts economy. She was also recently elected to serve as the chair of ACOM's board of directors. So it is my pleasure to welcome President Leshen to ACOM Insight. Thanks so much, Rob. Great to be with you. Thank you. It's been a whole 18 hours, I think, since our last Zoom call to discuss higher ed response to COVID. Uh, so it's great talking with you again so soon. Yes, thank you. And, and the work that you and your ACOM colleagues have been doing to support our community in this moment is um, it's incredible. And so I want to say thank you to you and to all of, uh, all of the ACOM team in, for supporting us. Thank you. I think it's been a great uh, I think collective effort, and I think we'll talk about that a little later, but it, is, it has been uh, kind of inspiring to see the whole higher ed community come together to figure out how to respond to this. Truly, um, collaboration is the word of the moment. It is, and it has been, uh, to say the least, an interesting few months since, since uh, COVID-19 in mid-March when it was all started and, and the d- disruptions that have been caused in many ways are, Im- are immeasurable. Um, and one of the things that uh, has really struck me, uh, or, or it just sticks with me, is, is a video that you did and posted on WPI's website for the class of 2020. And you talk about the WPI tradition of walking across the oil bridge and, and telling the graduates that you'll be waiting for them. Um, and, and I think the video uh, has made such an impression on me is because I have, on a personal level, have a daughter who's a senior in high school. And, and I've watched her, like so many thousands of students across the country, She's had to miss so many of the traditions and events that mark the transition from high school to college and college to career. Um, and, and that video, I think, really um, resonated with, with folks uh, and, and, what, and the message you had for the grads, uh, the graduating class of 2020. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to mention that and, and maybe you could comment on that briefly. Sure. Um, yeah, it's really heartbreaking that spring is you know, my favorite time of year on campus as we come up to our students' commencement and all of the events and traditions that are associated with that. And, and um, one very important one we have on our own campus is there's a beautiful footbridge uh, in the middle of campus that our students cross twice as a class. They cross the first time in one direction um, the night before they start classes as first-year students, so right at the end of new student orientation. And the second time they cross as a class is as they walk to their commencement with their caps and gowns. And both times the, the bridge is lined with faculty and um, all of us cheering. And it's, it's a wonderful tradition that we all look forward to. And 
we wanted to do something for the class. We didn't do a virtual commencement. We talked to our students about what they wanted. We asked them if they wanted a virtual commencement and they resoundingly said, no, we want a real commencement. (laughs) So we didn't do a virtual commencement, but um, then we will do an in-person commencement when it's safe to do so. But we wanted to do something for them. And so I, I took the walk that they take across the campus as they head towards the bridge. And I came to the edge of the bridge and I stopped because it just didn't feel right to cross the bridge without yeah. them. So we'll, we'll get there. We'll all, we'll all be back together hopefully soon. And when it's safe to get to do some larger gatherings, we will, we will yeah. no. get the students the commencement experience they deserve. That's what I thought was so um, moving about it. It was, you know, the realization that traditions have been disrupted, but it's uh, it's the looking to the future that, you know, we will get there uh, and we will cross that bridge. Yes. It's a good metaphor for this moment. Yeah. Um, so working with the RAB, uh, Governor Baker appointed you to the 17-person reopening advisory board. Can you talk a little bit about how that appointment came about and, and what your kind of initial responsibilities were as part of the RAB? Sure. Um, I was asked by the lieutenant governor to participate. She called me to ask me to be a part of it. And um, I, uh, I've i spent a fair bit of time working with the administration on STEM education issues. I sit on the, the governor's the executive committee of the governor's STEM education council. And so, um, you know, was already fairly connected to the lieutenant governor, who's the co-chair of that. Uh, of that group. And, and, and I'm th- was thrilled that they thought to really include higher ed as they were looking across industries in Massachusetts, they know how important higher ed is. And so they asked if I would participate. And of course I said, yes. And it was an amazing group, 17 folks, as you said, uh, 11 who were non-municipal or government leaders. So 11 sort of private sector folks that represented everything from restaurants to retail to medical. Um, and, you know, higher ed was a piece of that. And we met with over 75 different community groups, industry groups, all sorts of, of folks who are thinking about how to get um, life going again, but in a safe and thoughtful way. And it was, it was a privilege really to be with, um, to be a part of that group and to be able to, you know, advise the the governor and the lieutenant governor uh, about reopening the Commonwealth, and and you know the product that emerged from that, uh, I think, struck the right balance between um, everybody's strong desire to get life going again and the need for real consideration of of health and safety. Yeah, and, and you're uh, right about the the Baker administration and its uh, understanding and appreciation of higher education, if my, if my memory is, is correct. Uh, I think the first place he stopped um, after his inaugural events uh, was at WPI on his, when he was tra- traveling. That the, is um, true. Yeah. His, his first full day in office, he, he came to WPI. He uh, wanted to show support for higher education and the importance of it, of higher ed for our innovation economy uh, and he very well understands that. And, and they have been great collaborators even before this, but but especially in this time, really working with us to understand, you know, the needs and challenges to, you know, listen to concerns. And uh, they're being really thoughtful. I'm, I'm, uh, we're, we're lucky to have great leadership in our state. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and working on the RAB, it must have been interesting uh, from your perspective, because as you explained, there are many sectors represented. So you're there listening to 
to their concerns and their interest and, and their struggles with, with dealing with COVID and, and reopening. And then the flip side is that you're then on behalf of higher ed trying to educate them because I think a lot of times because we're talking to ourselves a lot, we under we underestimate how much um, the rest of uh, the economy and, and other sectors really understand and appreciate what higher education means uh, to the Massachusetts economy. Um, yeah. and I think part of that, you pulled together a group of, of your colleagues in higher education to help to help with that effort and to help um, explain to the to the RAB and, and to others uh, how important Massachusetts to Massachusetts higher ed is and and what um, needs to happen for for colleges to get uh, to, we're, not, we're not saying reopened because we've been open but um, to get back in in, in in fully operational. Can you talk a little bit about that that higher ed working group? Sure. So in addition to, as you said, you know, listening to so many different groups and inputs, which was fascinating and, um, you know, really, I I came out of almost all of those meetings feeling really uplifted just because of the thoughtfulness that people were putting into thinking through how are we going to come back? How are we going to support our communities? How are we going to make sure that we're doing this equitably? Um, and, and we wanted to have the voice of higher ed in that conversation as well. And so we, and it was definitely a we, I mean, I sort of was at the front end of it, but, but you, Rob, and Olive Acom and Secretary Pizer, uh, Secretary of Education Pizer, and his team at the Commonwealth level, um, we put together a, a working group that crossed private and public higher ed, 14 presidents from across the Commonwealth, from you know community colleges to big research universities, from heart of Boston to Western Mass, from liberal arts colleges to techie schools, from you know big well-endowed institutions to those of us who are more tuition dependent. It was it was a really diverse group and kind of representative of the the diversity of higher ed in the Commonwealth, which is of course one of our industry's great strengths. Um, but also leads to thinking about how there is not a one-size-fits-all solution. So we came together in this working group and we thought about how to put forward a framework for reopening higher ed in Massachusetts. And the, the good thing about doing this work when we did it, which was right at the beginning of the RAB, was that I was also in the RAB conversations and was hearing about kind of where the Commonwealth was headed. And so we were able to, I think, to keep our, our higher ed planning very synced up to where the Commonwealth was going. And I think that just made it that much better um, and easier for folks to understand. So we were able to do that work and we brought our thinking about a phased reopen for higher education to the reopening advisory board, presented it to them, also actually directly briefed the governor about it and got uh, great support in, in that thinking about the phased reopening uh, we also asked the Commonwealth for a few things that um, you know, some of which I think we'll get and some of which we may not, but that's okay. Um, and and it was it was a, a great beginning, a way to start to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, I, I agree. And what's I think I've been fortunate to be able to to, to staff and work with um, with your group. And I think one of the most impressive things that I've been able to watch is the way that you and Paula Johnson of Wellesley College, and Bob Brown at BU, and Tony Monaco at Tufts, and Deb Jackson, uh, how you've all worked together, um, really thinking about how best to to help and support the entire higher ed sector. Um, and and all the while, you know, you have a day job, and you're trying to figure out how to how to lead WPI through these incredibly difficult days. But 
watching all of you collectively work together has been really, um, I think, really impressive and, and really to the benefit of, of the entire sector. Yeah, I think we'll look back on this moment as one that that strengthened community immensely. And and I have to say that the, I love the ACOM community and it's been, I've been a president of WPI for six years now and, and it's been a real joy to get to be part of this amazing community of presidents. But one of the things I've loved about the last couple of months is, is really engaging much more with our colleagues on the public side yeah. um, because, you know, they, their issues are, are different, but complementary and, and they are, um, they do amazing work and, and serve communities in wonderful ways. And, and I think it's been really um, important for all of us to get to know one another better and, and work so that, you know, all of us can make choices about our campuses that are going to work for our own communities. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think this is the best. Um, I've been at ACOM for 13 years, and, and I think this is um, this crisis has really bought, brought out the best in, in the partnerships and, and collaboration between uh, both the public and private sectors and, and really trying to figure out how, um, how, how campuses can, can move forward and share those, those best practices and thoughts and concerns. And that's been, um, yeah. And I think it's because we all have the same North star, which is the health and safety of our communities, right? Like we're all, we're all intensely focused on that. And I, and I also think it's, um, because presidents and our, all of our senior teams who are all working so incredibly hard right now um, are, are taking this work incredibly seriously. They, I, I keep talking about how I've been talking and, and I know you, Rob and, and Rich Doherty at ACOM have as well been talking to a lot of presidents and hearing the, you know, the strain of this being the, biggest decisions, you know, the decisions about fall are the biggest decisions we will make in our professional careers that this feels like the most important work we have done in our lives. And, and that's, um, that's really saying something. The intensity is real. And uh, I just, I want to really honor the work that everyone is doing across this sector to, to try to get back to, you know, providing the educational experience that we know students want and need to advance their educational goals and do it safely. Yeah, no, I, I, you, I completely agree. You, uh, I was on a, a call late yesterday with the president and, and listening um, as she kind of walked through various issues they were dealing with just that day. And it's just, um, it's just really amazing that um, the difficult decisions that are being made and, and under such um such circumstances. So it's, uh, I think it, to your credit and the credit of the, of the higher ed working group, it really has provided that, um, um, that opportunity to help, um, provide that forum for, for, for presidents to really think through, think through these, these issues and concerns. Um, and, and I know you had mentioned that you and, and others are doing, um, in the midst of intensive planning and, uh, and it looks like the, the data, the public health data is, is um, trending in the right direction. And, and I think the big question that you or you must be getting every day from faculty, staff and students and families is as we turn towards the fall, what, what's likely to happen. Uh, right. Phase three of our uh, phased in uh, right. process. Yeah. The framework that we put together with the working group has higher ed sort of opening at a larger scale, kind of what we would all think of as a fall reopen, uh, in the Commonwealth's phase three. So first we got to get to phase two as a Commonwealth and, and the earliest that could happen would be next week. I think the governor is probably set to announce on June 
tomorrow, which is tomorrow as we're recording this, um, uh, that whether we're going to go to phase three. I personally, I haven't, I haven't heard, but I think the, the trends are certainly very positive right now. We have to tread very carefully, though. We don't want to lose the momentum that we're gaining as, as we're driving down these uh, the rates of infection and the and of course the the deaths which are still too high but but are coming down um, and also our hospital capacity is is loosening up some which is good uh, so those things are all positive so we'll see what the governor has to say over the next few days but as we get into phase two that's good for the Commonwealth and then um, phase three could come at earliest three weeks after we start in phase two so you know we're looking at late June, early July for campuses at least being able to say, yes, we're, we're going to reopen. We have targeted July 1 for our own community to come out with a definitive statement about fall, but we're already communicating with them about the planning that we're doing, the thinking that we're doing, and frankly, about the fact that life is going to be different. Even if we're able to be open, and I sincerely hope and think that we will be able to be open, but it's not going to be a normal year. And, and even that is hard for some families to hear. I understand that. But I think our job in this moment is just to be as transparent as we can possibly be. If we're going to have communities back together in residential uh, housing and things, it, it's our job to continue to work to stop the spread of this virus. And that means we're going to have to be taking lots of precautions like mask wearing and hand washing and distancing and de-densifying our classrooms and so it's going to be a unique year, but my hope is it'll be a year where we're able to be together. It is. And I've heard you talk that uh, in past calls that, that phase three is really going to be that long stretch that, that gets us to what, what people are calling the new, the new normal, which is when we can have a, a, a real treatment and a, and a vaccine. And so that phase three is likely to encompass most, most of uh, the next academic year. And and I do. I, I agree that the, the transparency and the communication is key. And, and looking at it from the perspective of a parent with two, one one daughter in college and one heading off to college, and and that communication is helpful. And 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 setting our expectations and their expectations about what will be expected of them as students back on campus. Yeah, and the other important groups to think about here are our faculty and our staff. You know, some of them are really nervous about coming back. And I think we have to acknowledge that, do everything we can to provide flexibility, but also understand that, that look, we, as society is reopening, we're going to take all the precautions that we can think of to keep people safe. And, and that our hope is that, again, slowly and over the coming weeks and months, we can start to come back together on campus. Oh, I agree. And so I wanted to... Um... We're getting close to the end, and I want to wrap up and, and, and uh, actually touch on something that I know is another subject uh, that is near and dear to your heart and is not COVID-related. Um, your Twitter handle is Lori of Mars, and you're a former NASA executive. Mm. Uh, and NASA recently went back into space with uh, with the launch of SpaceX. Um, and you um, know a lot about that, and, and it's something that I know you care a lot about. Would you uh, offer a few thoughts on that? Yes, it's um, it has been a really historic uh, week or two here in the world of space exploration. Um, and when I, I so I did, I worked six years at NASA, and my last two years there, I oversaw the Future Human Spaceflight Program, which was all about new programs to work to get humans 
to the space station on commercial rockets to get them back to the moon and onto Mars. And so this program, the Commercial Crew Program, which funded SpaceX to develop this capability, um, was something that I oversaw right at the beginning. And so the very first um, award that went to SpaceX to start this process um, was happening while I was there. So it's it's like my one of my babies going off to space college or something uh, to see this finally coming to fruition. And, and I offer huge congratulations to SpaceX, to NASA um, for this new kind of collaboration. And it's really important to understand that it's not the same old way of, of launching humans from U.S. soil. Hugely important that we're doing the capability to do that. But now we're doing it with private companies where NASA is a customer. They're buying seats and, uh, and, and other people will be able to buy seats too, other, other companies. And so it, it opens up space in a whole new way and also allows NASA to keep its focus as an agency on the space horizon, on what's beyond low Earth orbit, getting humans back to the moon, going on to Mars, keep driving the frontier. It's been 50 years since we've been out of low Earth orbit, and it's time we get back out into space. So does that mean that's on your bucket list of one of those seats? Oh, gosh, I wish. Um, I have been in a couple of these capsules, but uh, I would probably be throwing up the entire time I get terribly motion sick. So I think it's probably not in the cards for me. Although uh, maybe after we come up with the COVID vaccine, they can come up with a way of treating motion sickness that will allow me to go to space. That would be a, that would be fantastic. That would be a win-win. Yeah. Yes. That would be great. So, uh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're really incredibly busy and will continue to be through the summer. So I want to thank you for, for taking a few minutes to be, to be part of the Aikam Insight and uh, look forward to, to our next chat. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate all you're doing. Okay. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Aikam Insight. We will be back with a new episode next week. Be sure to listen and share.